Hello and welcome to Spill the Thesis, a podcast that brings you the most important lessons of newly graduated master and bachelor students from various academic fields. Today we will be discussing European migration policies in Africa with Pauline. But before we dive in, let me sketch out the amazing things I got out of this conversation and why I think this is relevant to you. The EU is often promoted as a frontrunner in human rights. But lately I've been confronted with the dark sides of our policies more often. Mostly this concerns the inhumane situations at the borders closest to us, for instance Poland, Greece or Italy. However, before arriving at these borders, there lies a whole story of suffering, failures and more generally bad political decision making. This conversation has led me to literally broaden my horizon and get a better understanding of the root cause of migration. Hopefully it will do the same for you. Hi Pauline, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Before we get started, could you please introduce yourself quickly, tell us what you study and what the title of your master thesis is. Yeah, so my name is Pauline, I'm 23 years old and I'm a master student at Pompe Fabra University in Barcelona. I studied migration studies and I just recently finished my thesis, which is called Watching from the Sideline on the Emergency Trust Fund in Niger. Okay, so your master thesis is about a European trust fund that got implemented in Niger. But before we go into either of those, you told me that it's best to start this story in 2015. Basically, my thesis is about European border policies. And like you said, I think it's it's interesting to start focusing on that by focusing on the refugee crisis. So Europe has always known migration flows. However, in 2015, the number of refugees or migrants has sharply increased related to the previous years. This was mainly due to the Syrian civil war and um, unstable political situation in Libya. What was the political situation like during this time? Yeah, so the the increase of migrants and increase of of refugees in Europe was seen as as a crisis, also politically, because during this time there was a rise of populist movements throughout the whole of Europe, and there was a general anti-immigrant sentiment, I would say, xenophobic politics as well. Think about the Brexit. So yeah, the, the general sphere in the European Union was not really welcoming to migrants. And basically, 2015 Eurobarometer showed that uh, European citizens chose migration as the most prioritized issue for the European Union. Okay, there was already a negative sentiment towards migration during this time. And this got reinforced when the amount of refugees and migrants increased. So what consequences did it actually have on a policy level in the European Union? European policy aimed at intensifying Europe's border control. And this was done directly at the European borders. Think about the south of Europe and the Mediterranean, but also uh, Eastern Europe, Hungary and Poland. More border protection, more money to uh, Frontex, which is the um, executing organization for, for, for border control. Not only at the European borders, also in other countries. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the border control in Europe increased, but also outside of Europe. In your master thesis, you refer to this as the externalization of borders. Could you explain to us what it is and what it means in practice? Yeah, so border externalization basically refers to the idea that a state expands their border policy and their migration control to a third country. So instead of stopping people directly at the European border, the EU or European countries aim to stop migration even before people can reach the European border. And I think that interesting or like well-known examples are 
arrangements between, uh, for example, Spain and Morocco, which is a place that sees a lot of migration. And basically Spain pays Moroccan authorities, Moroccan police to stop migrants already in Morocco so they don't reach the Spanish border. So the externalization of borders refers to the prevention of migration in a country outside of the European Union. Now, you named the example of Morocco, for instance, but how do we get all the way to Niger? In the beginning, border externalization mainly took took place in um, North African countries, so the countries that directly uh, border the Mediterranean Sea, Libya, Morocco. But later on, it also uh, happened in Niger. And Niger is, is a country in Africa. It's one of the yeah one of the poorest countries in the world, which I think it's is important to to understand. And it's located in the Sahel region, which is a um, region in uh, West Africa. This region is is known because of the desert. Almost eighty percent of the land is desert there. Niger is a famous transit country, which basically means that there are a lot of migrants that pass through Niger when they want to reach, for example, North Africa. That's why. I think the EU decided to externalize its border, borders in Niger. So Niger is mostly known as a transit country to connect the north and the south of Africa. So how did this migration between the north and the south look like in Niger? Since the 1950s, migration was really normal in Niger, but also in the Sahel region that I just explained. And this migration was usually temporary labor migration. So you would see that people from Mali, they would move to, to, to Libya through Niger for, I don't know, maybe some months, for a year. This was also very dependent on weather conditions or the climate. So if there was like a, a drought or a flooding in one country, someone would, like for their work, migrate to another place. So this meant that temporary labor migration was the norm in Niger. From the 1950s onwards, this temporary labor migration became more and more institutionalized, especially in Niger. And this also led to the fact that the Nigerian economy was was really linked to the migration patterns in their country and the economy was heavily dependent on it. If I understand you correctly, there is a lot of migration happening, but mostly for temporary labor. But we externalized our borders to prevent people from going to the European Union. So how much of the migrants are actually attempting to go to Europe? Only 10 to 15 percent of migration that takes place in Niger are migrants that actually have reached the European Union. 80 to 85 percent are just temporary workers traveling around, migrating in, in areas for work. Hmm. So only a small fraction of the migration is actually going towards Europe. But you also mentioned before that in 2015, the mood has kind of changed in a way. So politicians now have the incentive to try to prevent migration from happening. What exactly did we do from a legislative perspective in Niger? I wouldn't say that the mood changed because there's there's always been such a stance towards migration. And externalization already occurred, but it really intensified after the 2015 refugee crisis because there was this eagerness to show the European public that the European Union was handling the migration crisis and that they were doing something about it. So what they did is that they further externalized their borders all the way into Niger, and they did this under the policy umbrella that's referred to as the European Union Emergency Trust Fund for Africa. This is a fund that was set up to address the root causes of irregular migration in, I think it's around 15 African partner countries, among which Niger. So the EU tried to 
take away basically all the reasons why people might want to migrate to tackle the root causes. So this was the plan. They wanted to tackle the root causes of migration. But how exactly did it look in practice? I would say that a, a big focus in the trust fund is on migration management and border control. NGOs in the region also show that this migration management is focused on EU interests to stop migration and not always in in developing the country that they're operating in. And I mentioned this because it's very important to understand that the trust fund is mainly funded from the European Development Fund, which is another fund which all member states contribute to. Basically, this is development aid, regular development aid. In order for Niger to keep receiving their development aid, which is something that they really need, considering that they're one of the poorest countries in the world, in order to keep receiving that money, Niger had to implement law which criminalized all migration. And um, this meant that that it was now illegal and you could be arrested if you left the country. So if you left Niger, you could be arrested. Secondly, you could also be arrested if you had the intention of migrating. So if you had the intention of leaving a country. Okay, so let me try to get this straight. Niger had to pass a law that made it illegal to leave the country or have the intention to leave the country. It sounds a bit extreme. What do you think about that? This is an ex- exceptional law, I would say, because it kind of contradicts international law. Since in the Convention for Human Rights, it stated that every person has the right to leave a country always. Well, now in Niger, this is criminalized because the north of Niger is bordering Libya and Libya is bordering Europe. So Europe wants to stop people leaving Niger. Secondly, it's really quite odd to... Um, to criminalize someone's intentions, despite what they might be. If you haven't committed a crime yet, you cannot really be arrested uh, uh, for, for having an intention. How do you even how do you even measure that? Well, this kind of shows the desperateness of the EU to, to just stop migration in Niger because it's such a popular transit hub, as I explained before. Yeah, that's definitely not a good start for this law. Nevertheless, it did get implemented. So what effect did it have on Niger? I think to answer that question, it's easiest to break it into two parts. Firstly, it had huge economical impacts on the country because the Nigerian economy depended on migration for a great deal. Now this was all illegal. For example, the bus companies that would facilitate migration were now completely shut down. Accommodation for people traveling was not possible anymore. Even the women who were who were making these these necklaces to carry a water bottle could not even make them anymore because there were no more migrants traveling. And this is also very contradictory to the goals of the European Development Fund that I explained before, that's actually funding the trust fund because Niger didn't develop and the economy was damaged, but the money is for improving the country. So far, the economic impact. Secondly, the criminalization of migration under the European policy has led to severe human rights violations in Niger because migration was illegal, but people would still migrate. You have to imagine that the context in which migration occurs in, in the Sahel region in Niger is completely different, completely different than how we see migration. Migration was never registered. I mean, you were in a bus company, but you had to pass a, pass a border. You would, it was quite common, for example, to, to bribe the police. But now this migration was not even irregular anymore. It had to happen secretly. And that became very dangerous, especially in the area. 80% of, of, of Niger's desert, which is extremely 
dangerous to travel in. So people had to start taking more risky routes, which led to a lot, lot more deaths. We don't even know how, how much deaths because we don't even register this. I mean, we know about the deaths in the Mediterranean directly at the European border, but the consequences of the European policy in the desert in, in Niger, we don't even know the consequences because we don't even count the number of, of bodies. Like there's no count of that, but this happens a lot. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So the whole economy is based on migration. So if you're trying to prevent migration from happening, you destroy the whole economy. If you try to prevent migration from happening and people still want to migrate, they're going to take more risky routes, thus the humanitarian risk. Nevertheless, let's put these negative effects aside um, and look at the goal that the European Union actually wanted to achieve, namely decreasing the migration towards the European Union. Did they actually achieve this? I think that's quite hard to say, hard to estimate as well, because we're talking about migrants coming from, from everywhere. And like I said before, it's really difficult to measure. I couldn't say yes or no. However, there are some scholars in immigration in the migration studies field that, that argue that migration possibly increased because of because of this policy. The conditions that this policy created in Niger, but not only Niger, because as I said before, this temporary migration with Niger as a transit point as a, as, as a hub, this was so normal for 80 to 85% of the people and making this impossible could have possibly led to so many negative impacts for the economy, which gives people a reason to actually flee because their life now really isn't possible anymore and they actually have to find a better life in Europe. That's, yeah, and this is, this is argued by, by some scholars and I think it's a plausible argument for sure. Hmm. Okay, so we're not even sure if it prevented migration towards Europe. And I think you quite clearly described the negative effects of that on Niger. So that leaves me with the feeling that something went quite wrong here from a policy perspective. Now I'm wondering, how are these decisions actually made? And why could we not prevent this from happening? I think that this is quite a special case. And without making it too technical or difficult... Um, European Emergency Trust Fund for Africa was installed as a flexible fund to, to react quickly to the, to the crisis situation and to prevent the crisis from happening, basically, the migration crisis. What it means to be an emergency trust fund is that it exists outside of the uh, regular EU budget. Inside of this budget, in a normal policymaking way, uh, the European Commission is the body in the EU that proposes a policy. And the European Parliament, together with the European Council, are the two bodies that kind of control this policy and have the right to scrutiny. So yeah, there's this mechanism of controlling each other, like the basic checks and balances, so to say. That's the normal case. But in this case, this was an emergency trust fund and this democratic control by the European Parliament was not possible to the same extent that it is normally. Okay, so normally the European Commission is proposing these plans and the European Parliament has the job to oversee these plans. But because this was an emergency, as you mentioned before, it was labeled the refugee crisis. Therefore, the European Parliament was not involved in this process as in a normal situation. So how did it make the European parliamentarians feel? During my thesis, I've talked to some members of the European Parliament I think that in the beginning of the implementation of the trust fund, they supported the trust fund because they really wanted to show to the European Commission that, that they were eager to, to solve the refugee crisis and to, to tackle the, the problem. But throughout the implementation of the, um, 
of the trust funds, they became more critical. And it's also quite dependent on the um, political ideology within the parliament, because I think the most critical members of parliament, especially when it comes to the implementation in Niger, were party members of green parties or from the left parties. They are in general more critical towards the European migration policy and, and, and the way we, as Europeans, interfere in, in third countries for our own goals. But our liberal parties are less concerned with this specific content. However, after some time, the whole parliament was quite was quite critical on the, on the procedure itself, on, on, on the lack of control they had, basically. Thank you, Pauline, for sharing this story with us. I must admit that I'm quite shocked about the situation that we've created in Niger. And I can imagine you spending more than six months researching it, you also might have some emotions towards it. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this story made you feel and how you feel right now? It was kind of shocking to find out that this is how we, as the EU, spend our development aid budget. And it's just, it's quite sad. Like I'm, I'm used to the fact that within the EU, there's like such a skeptical view towards towards migration and that, that we're unwelcoming towards people and the political implications this has. I mean, look at Brexit. Migration was the number one reason to vote leave. But I just didn't expect that this sentiment, which is what it is, because it's often not fact-based. It's often just something that it's just used to, to make people fear things. But this sentiment is actually has actually led to the fact that we as the EU are involved in a third country and we are messing up their whole way of living. We were messing up something that was that was such a normal thing there to cure this sentiment, basically. That was so surprising to me. We are, and also as, as an EU claiming that we are the forefathers of human rights and then we're in, implementing a policy with such terrible human rights violations. Concluding, it made, me, it made me quite pessimistic. Yeah, I understand your pessimism. But is there maybe any spark of hope, anything we've learned out of this experience, which might prevent something like this happening in the future? As far as it concerns Niger and any changes in this policy, nothing really has happened. So today we still have the same policy and migration is still criminalized. So no, there aren't really any positive takeaways However, concerning the the procedure of the trust fund, which is also like something that I that I investigated in my in my, in my thesis, I think this is less likely to to be implemented again due to the criticism on the lack of transparency. This this was an example that was given to me by one of the members of the parliament I talked to, um, who said that there was maybe the idea to set up a trust fund for Ukraine. However, it was decided that this, this was not going to be handled by a trust fund, assumably because of the lack of transparency that's in the system of trust funds. Okay, Pauline, thank you so much for teaching us a little bit more about how our migration policies are affecting countries that some of us may have never even heard of. I've learned a lot. I hope that the people listening have also learned a lot. And I wish you all the best for the rest of your career.